Peter Cradlin, live on Sky News Australia. Good evening, welcome to the show. Well, it never rains, but it pours. Big news coming out of Victoria today, and of course, a lot out of Canberra. We'll cross to the UK. For more on the coronation, getting very close now, here's what's coming up on Credlin. Labor's big taxpayer boost for the pay of aged care workers. Now, sure, everyone knows they do it tough, but should the government really be subsidising private sector workers? We'll get all the latest, as I said, from London. Two more sleeps now until the big day of the coronation. Plus, we'll cross live to the latest no campaign rally in Sydney tonight as Jacinta Nampa Jimpa Price pushes back on sporting codes involving themselves in The Voice. And it's been a horror day for the Victorian Liberals. Allegations of bullying colleagues still hang around the leader, John Pizzuto. He's accused of reneging too on his commitments to suspended Liberal Moira Deeming. And all the while, Daniel Andrews is getting off scot-free. What came out of the meeting on the 27th has actually been dealt with. What we were dealing with this week was merely the finalisation of the admin side of the matter, which was the minutes themselves, just for the party's internal records. But somebody's leaked those, and OK, if they're going to do that, uh, that's going to happen. We'll come back to the Victorian Liberals shortly and have some exclusive information for you tonight. But first, the surprise news this afternoon from my colleague Andrew Clennell that there might be a surplus announced next Tuesday night should not fool anyone. If there is a surplus, it'll be no thanks to the government, just the happy accident of resource prices at record levels. It'll be due to good luck rather than good economic management. And good economic management is what really matters. It'll be only for one year, I might add, and that's important. What's more, from every indication we've had, this is a budget where the government is going to shower cash on people so that they can spend more to pay their bills and cope with rising prices. But at the same time, we've got the Reserve Bank continuing to jack up interest rates to try and force people to spend less to get inflation down and stop prices going up and up. In other words, just as the Reserve Bank is taking money out of our pockets via interest rate hikes, the government's trying to put money back into our pockets via energy subsidies, higher dole payments and a massive pay rise for aged care workers. Now, doesn't make much sense, does it? Either we need less spending to get inflation down or we need more spending to cope with the cost of living crisis. But we can't simultaneously need both less spending and more spending. Because the net result of that is that the Australian economy ends up like a car with the drivers hitting both the brake and the accelerator at the same time. Now, honestly, this is a mess. But let's focus on the big headline news that the government's going to spend a whopping $11 billion to give aged care workers a 15% pay rise, all 250,000 of them across the country. For some, that will be a boost, an annual boost of ten dollars to $15,000. Now, as much as we all value the work of the aged care sector, there's devil here in the detail. Since when it has been the government's job to directly subsidise the pay of private sector workers, even those whom we think are doing it tough? Aged care workers are not government employees. They work for aged care providers, some of which are charities, some are not-for-profits, and some are for-profit in the commercial sector. There's still a few, too, owned and operated by state governments, like here in Victoria. If the federal government thinks that aged care workers are underpaid, 
it should fix the aged care funding system, more co-payments and other changes that might enable aged care employers to better pay their staff. Or people like Daniel Andrews, I mean, he runs nursing homes. He should put his money where his mouth is and pay his Victorian government workers better. But why should federal taxpayers pay anyone who isn't a federal employee and give them a wage hike? Worse still, there's no guarantee that workers will even see this $11 billion payday because the Albanese government isn't paying the money directly to them. It can't, as I said, it doesn't actually employ them. Instead, it's paying the money to their bosses and only some of these companies have committed to pass the money on. Now, see how unorthodox all this is? And I wonder what will be the strings attached to this largesse? Will the government demand employers sign up uh, to relevant unions? In other words, will Labor use taxpayer dollars to boost union membership? Now watch that one closely, that's my tip. This is yet another sign that the government's completely clueless, if not deeply hostile to the private sector. Like its price caps on coal and especially on gas. And by corrupting the market in this way, all the Albanese government has done is jeopardise future investment in new gas supplies, which will drive prices up in the medium term and ultimately jeopardise the resource security on which our country depends. Now, I know families are hurting. A family with a $750,000 mortgage is paying $1,600 a month more than they did a year ago. That's a $20,000 hit with after-tax income. But the way forward is not more and more debt-fueled government spending that'll ultimately have to be paid back tomorrow by the same taxpayers getting this short-term benefit today. The way forward is to make our economy more efficient by eliminating the kind of government interventions that are driving prices up, like the emissions rules that are playing havoc with our power prices. The great irony in today's surplus speculation is that this is a government that just doesn't get markets, but might have its ineptitude hidden on the budget on Tuesday by an entirely fortuitous surplus driven by a tax windfall from the very fossil fuels it wants to ban. Now, that's lucky for the government, not so lucky for us. Let's stay with energy because the one hard and fast promise the Prime Minister made during the last year election campaign was that if elected, he'd cut your power bills by $275 a household per year. Now, this was based on his repeated assurances that renewable energy was, was cheaper than that provided by coal and gas even though renewables have to be firmed when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Now, that's not looking good with Snowy 2.0, the pumped hydro scheme, with costs blowing out and admitted $6 billion for the May project alone. That's what they admit. I tell you, it's a lot more than that. Plus all the billions on extra transmission infrastructure and a further two-year delay in its completion, now not expected till the end of the decade. Meanwhile, New South Wales has just lost 10% of its reliable electricity with the closure of Liddell and it'll soon lose 25% in under two years' time when Iraring closes. Today, the former boss of Snowy Hydro, Paul Broad, unloaded on the government's green dream. Iraring cannot close. Cannot close. Even now we're closing Liddell. We're on ice edge. You watch when it gets really hot. Or really cold, just how tight it gets in New South Wales. If the lights don't go out, 
I'd be awfully surprised. The notion that you can have 80% renewable in our system by 2030 is to use the vernacular. To use vernacular, yes. It's mm. You can't. Ben. I mean, the truth is, we need this transition. If it ever occurs, uh, it will take 80 years, not eight. And for good measure, he added this. There is no hydrogen in Nada, and it won't be for another 10, 20 years at the earliest. Whatever the government says, be certain that energy policy in this country is a slow motion train wreck. All right, back to Victoria, where the country's worst Premier, Daniel Andrews, is laughing as the opposition implodes despite debt blowing out, a looming horror budget for him, and the corruption allegations that just won't go away. All because of the Liberal opposition leader, John Pesuto, tried to expel new MP Moira Deeming from the party room because a women's rights rally she attended was gatecrashed by neo-Nazis. After a powerful speech in her own defence, Pizzuto's expulsion motion was withdrawn. It was withdrawn because it was set to fail in the party room. And to help save his leadership, deeming in good faith, agreed to accept a nine-month suspension on the basis that Pizzuto would then issue a statement exonerating her from any suggestion of Nazi sympathies. That statement, says Deeming, has never been forthcoming. Now, I've asked John Pursuta myself for a copy and his office have confirmed there is no joint statement. It all should have been pretty simple. A suspension, a joint statement and confirmation that Deeming's allowed back into the party room when a nine-month suspension is over. Only as I revealed to you on Tuesday night, the Liberals now can't even agree on what actually happened in that meeting six weeks ago. With the minutes still not available, despite three separate versions going around, and the official minute taker, Upper House MP Renee Heath, claiming she's been bullied over the minutes by John Pesuto and his office, and the Conservative women, she says, face chronic bullying inside the Liberal Party. Now, I ask you, if you can't sort out bloody party room meetings after two months, how can you even hope to run the state? It's all a monumental mess, an own goal from a leader with shocking poor judgment who's jumped to false conclusions and overreacted to now two female colleagues. I mean, the whole basis for Deeming's ban is that she was accused of being a Nazi or a neo-Nazi sympathiser but just listen to Pizzuto on this very point today. The outcome of the party room meeting on the 27th of March was very clear. It was based on a dossier uh, which formed the basis of the motion. The party room in, uh, overwhelmingly accepted the outcome of the meeting, which was a nine-month suspension, a statement to be prepared jointly, which was in fact done on the day and then confirmation publicly which I've done throughout many many occasions speaking to you which I'm happy to do again that nothing in the dossier ever accused more redeeming of being a Nazi or herself having Nazi sympathy. So why is she suspended then John? Because this is what you said back in March on Neil Mitchell. Kelly J Keane. And she's had associations uh, and with she's got associations with Nazis. Who? 
Well, well people, okay, so um, Jean-Francois Jeropy, um, she's done videos with Richard Spencer, Mark Collett, uh, Klu Klux Klan leader, David Duke. Uh, there's a long... Were they video videos or interviews? Video, videos, interviews, she said, platforms with... Those comments are in relation to Kelly J. Keith. She had not done videos with neo-Nazis. The interviewer had interviewed her, Kelly J. Keane, and neo-Nazi sympathisers, allegedly, with a three-year difference between the two. But in any event, none of that related to Demi. But that was a charge levelled against her. Now, surely, this is what happens when you go off half-cocked, you then realise you've made a big mistake, but you dig in harder because you don't want to admit it. Now, that's the test of leadership, isn't it? And that's the test for John Pizzuto. You admit you've got it wrong, you fix it, and you move on. Now, I might add, the Liberal Party room, unlike the Liberal Party room in Canberra, actually has a written constitution. And in that constitution, I've looked very carefully, there is not the capacity for a suspension motion. It doesn't even exist. Indeed, the word suspension is not in the constitution. So how there is a suspension of Moira Deeming in the Liberal Party room in Victoria baffles me. Now, at the very least, Victorian Liberal Party, people in this state deserve a decent opposition. And John Pesuto, if you can't lead one, then step down and allow someone else to do it. Olivia Kaisley. Every night I get her, wrong, her name wrong and I apologise through the TV to her night tonight. Olivia Kaisley, she's a wonderful reporter. She's with us now in Canberra with the headlines. Aged care workers across the country will receive a 15% pay rise from July as part of a pre-budget announcement from the government. For us as a Labor government, that really helps right a wrong, where the care economy has long been undervalued in this country. And today's historic pay rise, the biggest pay rise ever for this sector in the history of Federation, starts to address that wrong. The government hopes the move will help solve worker shortages plaguing the sector. Our modelling says that today's pay rise will bring 10,000 more workers to the sector. So I'm not kidding when I say this is a seismic shift. Former Snowy Hydro Chief Paul Broad says it's total BS the government will reach its emissions reductions target after the hydro battery project was hit with fresh delays. They are dreaming if they think they can have 80% renewables by 2030. It's not the first time the two have traded barbs. Mr Broad spectacularly quit as head of the Snowy Hydro scheme last August after repeated disagreements with Mr Bowen. He says the minister needs to be upfront with Australians. There's this false narrative coming out there that somehow this transition is all in place and somehow it's all going to work seamlessly. It's not. But the government has snapped back. It comes after the project's new boss admitted Snowy Hydro 2.0 might not be finished until the end of the decade. A development fueling concerns there'll be more blackouts as coal-fired power plants exit the system. Sky News has revealed the Albanese government is expected to post Australia's first federal budget surplus in 15 years. I think the Treasurer and I have been clear that for uh, some time now that there's a significant improvement in the short term. Political editor Andrew Clennell reports the surging tax revenue from commodities and record number of people in work has helped fuel a $37 billion turnaround from the deficit Labor predicted in its October budget. The surplus is expected to be a one-off. 
Deputy Greens leader Maureen Faruqi is suing fellow Senator Pauline Hanson for a tweet she says is insulting and humiliating. Being told to go back to where you come from is an ultimate racist dog whistle. She wants the One Nation leader to delete the offending tweet, donate $150,000 to a not-for-profit organisation and undertake anti-racism training. All right, plenty to get across, as I said. Let's bring in my panel. Host of Weekends on 2GB, Michael McLaren, Sky News senior reporter, Caroline Marcus, both coming to me from Sydney. Let's get into uh, this story. I spoke about it in some detail at the top of the show. The pay rise, Michael, for the aged care sector, a whopping 15% across the board, 250,000 staff will see this boost. It'll cost the budget $11 billion. But I might add... As emotionally as we all feel about aged care workers, these are not government employees. They work in the private sector. The money goes to the employers. No guarantees it's going to be paid to the staff. And I think it's a terrible precedent for federal taxpayers not to be paying for government employees, but be paying for private staff. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that, Peter. Look, the, the problem with aged care is a problem of funding right across the board, and we've seen that recently, haven't we, with the aged care sector seeing a number of closures because the government have insisted on ridiculous timeframes to have registered nurses in place 24-7 and all the rest of it. These things can't be achieved. Uh, I know in the recent Royal Commission a, a pay hike of this uh, magnitude was recommended the aged care sector themselves said to government, mm -hmm. look, don't make us pay for it because we can't afford it. So the government have said, all right, well, we'll pay for it ourselves, as you say, X billion over four years. But then, of course, there'll be an expectation it rolls on forever and ever, amen. Uh, it, it just adds to worry, no... Michael. Yeah, it just adds no doubt, doesn't it, to this notion of a structural deficit being baked into our overall uh, economic budget going forward. You know, Australia's not in a position, as noble as the cause is, to have taxpayers prop up private sector wages... And uh, I think holistically we're going to have to have a pretty hard look at how we fund aged care and perhaps users are going to have to put more hands in their own pockets because clearly it is unsustainable under the model that it's operating at the moment. Fix the system. Don't do a Band-Aid like this because you're absolutely right. The moment that that money is not in the budget, let's say it's withdrawn in the, the, the forward estimate at the end of the four-year period, then these businesses are still going to have to get that gap picked up, that ten yeah. dollars to $15,000 that the government's tipped in now they'll be on the hook for that in year five, year six and, and going on and I reckon you'll see job losses then. Mm. Well, let's go to Snowy Hydro, Caroline. Huge news today. The former CEO, Paul Broad, uh, I played some uh, responses there he had on radio this morning. Damning assessment of Snowy Hydro. It won't be delivered at best, they're saying, until 2029. It sounds like bloody submarines, doesn't it? Billions and billions of dollars overdue. You've got to wonder, at what point we're going to stand back and say, we are literally throwing good money down a hole uh, in the snowy mountains. No guarantees it's going to meet the gaps in the, um, in the uh, electricity grid in New South Wales. Surely we've got to rethink this. Well, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it, Peter? I mean, this is just such... It, I think we're heading for an energy disaster here if it's not going to be operating until the end of the decade at the earliest and we're seeing coal-fired uh, energy plants being shut down at a cracking pace. There's just going to be a huge gap in the 
energy market and how's that going to be filled? I mean, when you've got the former boss of Snowy Hydro so scathing in his remarks today about this, just saying it was an absolute uh, a joke what the government's doing, that they have rocks in their head if they think they're going to be able to meet their renewables target, then you know that this is a real lame duck. But... Uh, you know, they keep throwing more money at it. We don't know if they're going to go to the government for a cash injection or they say they may take on more debt. But I do fear that uh, we're going to be up for a lot more money on this. Now, I warn you, I'm going to show you something in a moment that's pretty confrontational if you're queasy, look away. But this is the Richmond injecting room in Melbourne. Highly contentious, placed right next to a primary school. It's been subject to a six-year trial. The uh, Andrews government is about to legislate it through the parliament, lock it in and make it permanent. A lot of people protesting on the streets of parliament to house in Victoria today. They do not want it near the school. They want it out of their community. I drive past there. You see addicts. You see sex acts. You see all sorts of stuff during the middle of the day. Here is some footage that was taken inside the injecting room. You'll see a staff member handling the addicts' drugs illegal drugs, here they are or otherwise, helping them then find a vein to inject them in. They've got a little light there. They're helping them find the vein, the best place to put uh, the heroin or the ice or whatever's in that uh, syringe. And Michael, this is just not good enough. Look, I, I'm not a big fan of injecting rooms, irrespective of what the footage shows. Um, I know in Sydney we have one as well. They've been seen by the advocates for a number of years as... Uh, making the illicit safer than it would otherwise be. Um, look, there might be some evidence that's the case, but I'm also sensing that it sends the wrong message. I think we've got to be... Look, we, let me put it this way, Peter. We always talk about the war on drugs and how the war on drugs has failed. I would argue we've never really fought the war on drugs convincingly at all. And, 100%, Michael. 100%. And, and so, therefore, how can we determine whether it's failed or not? Um, and look what we're now doing with vaping. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we're saying, oh, look, these drugs are addictive. We've got to make sure people can have them safely and all this sort of stuff. And there's a big push to legalise all of what is now illicit. At the same time, we're marching toward making illegal what is already legal in the drug space, certainly with mm -hmm. vaping and nicotine over time, that'll become, you know, contraband. So there seems to be mixed messages, pulling left and pulling right. Uh, it, it's confusing. And I think we need to just land on one position here and really try to prosecute the case either way. But, but also the thing, Peter, is whether you're for or against injecting rooms, and I agree with a lot of what you've both said there, the, the location is completely inappropriate Indeed. here. I mean, mm. even if the advocates can successfully argue that they're minimising the harm to drug addicts, what about the kids that are at risk at the school? I mean, one father described how a knife-wielding man came onto the school grounds. It's just not safe for kids to be exposed to this constantly. And I note that the Greens want it expanded so that children under the age of 18 can use this facility and pregnant right, women... Caroline. It's ridiculous. I tell you what, if you, if, you, if, if you put as much money into this centre and then put that same money into getting people off drugs, I probably have a different view. But there's no rehab beds, there's no great push to get people off. You can see there with the nurse, there's a, there's a push to help them find the vein, but there's not a, a move to get them away from the scourge of drugs. I think that, that's the great tragedy of what we can see there. And I have to say to the health lobby, put it inside a hospital. If you think it's so good, and you think it's a health issue, not a crime issue, put it inside a hospital. 
and that's when they uh, the support evaporates. Let's go to Queensland. That tragic triple fatal crash this week. This afternoon, this is breaking news, two 13-year-olds have been charged over the alleged theft of the vehicle. The deputy up in Queensland, Stephen Miles, he slammed the media and others for the politicisation of the crash. But then this is this comment I find amazing from the Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk. No one is going to stop youth crime, but we can do everything we possibly can to curb the incidence of youth crime. Can't stop it. Throws her hands in the air. I, look, I Caroline? think the, the, the whole issue and those sorts of remarks from the Premier, they just seem so dismissive of what uh, the, the, the residents in her state feel about this issue. And there's an overwhelming sense there of frustration, of feeling fed up at this problem, which nothing is seriously being done to address. I mean, they recently had this big backflip in the Queensland government where they had to reintroduce, uh, you know, laws that if for, for juveniles who were breaching bail because throwing them out obviously didn't work at all. So, I mean, some of their own laws have shown that that you can have an impact on youth crime if you just don't do things, stupid things, like throwing out breach of bail laws. Mm. You know, an online poll today by the Career Mail found that 96% of people, readers, and they had almost 3,000 votes in this poll, they had no confidence that the Palaszczuk government could adequately address this issue. And also, I am so sick, Peter, of politicians coming out and saying that issues shouldn't be politicised when that just means that they're not willing to take any accountability for it. We saw it with the disgusting slurs against Peter Dutton when he was trying to talk about serious child abuse issues in Alice Springs, and we're seeing it again now. No, you should politicise some issues because they need to be addressed. And if they're political, they'll end up being politicised. That's just mm. the nature of the beast, Michael. And Caroline, thank you as always. See you both next week. Right, let's go to Jacinta Price now. Crossing to a very special rally that's happening in Sydney because we all know it's been a, a real uphill battle for the no campaign to take on the yes campaign because many in the media and big business sporting clubs, they don't want a bar of the no campaign. We already know, of course, the Prime Minister and the Albanese government is trying to set the no case up to fail. But Jacinta Price, Tony Abbott too, he's there with her. They're not afraid of a fight. She is on a national tour promoting why the voice is wrong in principle and practice. She was in Adelaide last week, massive crowds there. And as you know, when she hosted an event in Western Australia, she attracted 200-odd people up to the paltry 20 that turned up to hear former Liberal member Ken Wyatt. Joining me now, the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Affairs, Jacinta Nambujimpa Price. Well, you've got a, a big rally, a lot of enthusiastic people. You've said to me you are absolutely determined to get around the country, balanced on the country, talk to real people, explain to them why the voice is bad in principle, wrong in practice. Um, what's been the reaction mm. once you talk to people? Do they move their view? Well, look, I think, you know, I mean, Australians in general are common sense people. You know, they, 
They do want to know what the detail is. Yes, there's a lot of goodwill toward Indigenous Australians, but I don't think necessarily Australians are sold on the idea uh, that the voice itself is going to be... There is no guarantee that it is going to um, help our most marginalised Indigenous Australians, and it certainly hasn't been able to demonstrate that. And I think generally across the country, when I'm having conversations, a lot of people actually don't know what it's about. They think it's a television show uh, and the whole idea of a referendum uh, and they have to vote. They're going, oh, do, does that, you know, what does that involve? So, you know, it's important to get around, to have conversations. I was in Cabramatta today with Di Lee. You know, uh, Cabramatta is a world away from somewhere like Alice Springs, but you've got a community of migrants there that, you know, a lot of the migrants that I speak to personally say, well, you know, we, we struggled. Uh, we came to this country, we struggled. Uh, we, we fought to establish ourselves, to become Aussies, to become proud Aussies uh, and become part of this country, the fabric of this country. So why then, you know, they, they, they're like, well, what does this mean for us going forward in terms of equality of citizenship? There's all these answers. Um, well, there's questions that certainly people right across the country are interested in and, and need answered. The pollsters tell me, Jacinta, that, that you know, when you're first asking someone about the voice, there's a lot of support for it. We both know enormous goodwill for Aboriginal people in this country. But as you dig into some of the issues and they tease them out and, and, and you know, they understand it means a treaty as well and all the other things like truth-telling that are to come, they become quite angry. They, they feel like the government's not being honest with the detail. You know, why am I only hearing about this is one of the things that's often said, I'm told, in focus groups. Are you finding that? Absolutely. And the government isn't being honest with Australians. You can see even in their recent uh, ad campaign about this uh, referendum, they make no mention whatsoever of a voice to Parliament through the amendment of the Constitution. They're now focusing on um, the term recognition uh, because they know there's a lot of support for that, but they're being deceitful to Australians. Not only do they not uh, provide the detail on what this voice is supposed to be all about, uh, do they provide any um, you know, evidence to suggest it's going to improve the lives of Indigenous Australians, but they're being deceitful in the way that they are delivering their message through their ad campaign to everyday Australians. And I, and I think a lot of everyday Australians are you know, insulted by this uh, because, as I said, they're not silly, but they do want some questions answered and they're not getting those answers. And I find it really funny, actually. So I'm in the middle of trying to convince Marion Scrimger, the member for Lingiari and the Albanese government to fund the Yipirinya School um, to take care of mm -hmm. the vulnerable kids on our streets uh, and the proposal. She's now putting questions around the school's proposal that has come from the elders. This is the elders of that school who are, who are pleading for support to help the children there behind. And now she's saying, well, I need to see more detail in this proposal. I just find it utterly preposterous and, and, and uh, just, just ironic that they are now seeking detail from a school who are saying, no, this is a solution, we know it's a solution, we work with these kids every day, we need to protect them uh, in an educational-focused environment. So, you know, this government, it, it's all about games, it's all about politics, it, it's not about actually creating outcomes. And I think this is becoming more and more evident, especially with um, how this campaign is being run, what we're seeing now between now and the, and the referendum. Sporting codes, Jacinta, you had them in your sights today. 
there's been a lot of pushback actually from members. I listen to a lot of talkback radio. AFL members are not happy that their clubs are even involved mm. in this space. What's your thoughts? Look, I think sports, sporting codes need to stay absolutely out of politics. Um, they don't have the expertise. Uh, they don't have the understanding of what's going on on the ground. It's not for them to tell Australians how to suck eggs, uh, how to vote in a referendum. It's not for them, especially when they haven't sat down and listened to the voices of Indigenous Australians. You know, we took a delegation of them from remote communities whose first language is not English, who are deeply concerned about uh, what the voice might mean or not mean for them, who are against it. They haven't taken the time to sit down and listen to those voices. They're just listening uh, to the Albanese government. And, and I find it really actually paternalistic of them uh, to tell Australians how to think and how to vote going forward. And I'll be urging them and contacting many codes uh, between now and the referendum to have those conversations with them mm. about staying out of it and for the sake of their fans. Fans don't want politics rammed down their throat. I've got to let you go because I know you and Tony Abbott are on the stage just about now and you've got a big crowd that uh, want to hear from you. So I really appreciate you crossing into the show tonight. Good luck with the rally and we'll uh, watch your progress as uh, you get around the country. Jacinta Price, thank you. Thanks a lot, Peter. Fantastic. If you want to support Jacinta and her campaign, head to fairaustralia.com.au. Right after the break. The Liberal Party in Victoria tearing itself apart today. Simon Love has some exclusive information you don't want to miss. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winter? <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. All right, welcome back. Cracks are getting deeper in the Victorian Liberal Party with MP Moira deeming this afternoon threatening legal action against party leader John Pizzuto over a nine-month suspension and late this afternoon issuing an email plea to her colleagues now asking that the, the joint party room be reconvened where they force the leader to honour the terms of a suspension from the meeting six weeks ago or perhaps even let it lapse given the comments from Pursuto this afternoon saying she has no neo-Nazi or any other kind of stain on her name. Have a listen again. The outcome of the party room meeting on the 27th of March was very clear. It was based on a dossier uh, which formed the basis of the motion. The party room in, uh, overwhelmingly accepted the outcome of the meeting, which was a nine-month suspension, a statement to be prepared jointly, which was in fact done on the day, and then confirmation publicly, which I've done throughout many, many occasions speaking to you, which I'm happy to do again, that nothing in the dossier ever accused Moira Deeming of being a Nazi or herself having Nazi sympathy. As I said, he says that now, but that's what the whole stoush has been about for six plus weeks. She's somehow linked to the Nazis, uh, uh, those garbed men that turned up on the day of the protest, and now he's saying, well, that's not true. Well, if that's not true... Why is she suspended? 
Joining me now, Sky News Victorian uh, political reporter Simon Love. It sounds torturous to even go back through that today, but but the whole Six reason weeks, yeah. for this mess is she was alleged to have these links. She was suspended on the basis of those links. You certainly didn't have uh, carriage of the room to expel her as he initially wanted to. Um, but now he says nothing in the dossier says that she's a neo-Nazi or neo-Nazi sympathiser. Mm. So you tell me, you've been around politics for a while, why on earth is she suspended then? Well, it was the compromise ultimately that came in the party room. So, and so it's took, the same and looking, even looking at the minutes too, which, well, which is, is interesting. So I've just, obtained, I've obtained some of the the actual minutes. This is quite rare in politics, as you would think, Peter. That the minutes of a Liberal Party room meeting, and I've gone through them quite carefully, and it shows that clearly for three quarters of this initial party room meeting, what was it, six weeks ago, mm -hmm. John Pizzuto still thought that he could expel Moira Deeming. And clearly there was a flip about three quarters of the way through the meeting. So, the... so I'm told the flip happened. Mm. Ten colleagues spoke in her defence. Uh, only the leadership group spoke against her. But the moment that she spoke, I'm told, that's when he realised he'd lost the room. Well, it was that quite emotive speech from Moira Deeming, which I think you revealed the mm -hmm. night she gave it, mm -hmm. uh, where she talked about some of the abuse that she's had even at a younger age, mm -hmm. talking about her links to... Uh, Holocaust survivors. Thank you, yeah, to Holocaust survivors as well. Wanted to be very... But see, I, haven't even, I have not seen the minutes. When I've talked about the minutes in the past, Simon, mm. I've had them read Here to they me. Are. It's, but you've actually got a copy of the minutes. Yeah, and... it says here, and this is one version of the minutes, bear in mind too, there, Liberals believe there's three versions going around, mm -hmm. one that was prepared by the party secretary, another agreed to by the leader's office, and these ones. So what do these so say? So it says here, 11.56am, so that's after the big uh, shift, essentially. Meeting called to order, we've reached a compromise, the minutes say, people have moved, the proposed compromise, one, Moira to be suspended from the party room for nine months, effective from this meeting. Two, mm -hmm. joint statement from the leader's office in conjunction with Moira. Three, a media statement. This statement will make it clear that no one was accusing Moira of being a Nazi or Nazi sympathiser. So just on that point, can I have the minutes for a moment? John Pesuto was uh, very clear uh, in his statements to the media today in the press conference mm. you were at. He said there was no agreement for a joint statement, um, but that word says specifically joint statement from the leader's office in conjunction with Moira. Now, I have not seen a, a joint statement. I've asked the leader's office if there is a joint statement. There is not a There's joint not. statement. Have I missed something? No, I don't think you have. Um, and the other thing too is, I think back in my mind on the day, how this all played out. And I remember after the Liberal Party room meeting finished, there was murmurings going around, not from the leader's office, that there was going to be a joint press conference even between Moira Deming and John Pesciuto. But then mm. that didn't eventuate at the 115 press conference on that day. So maybe there was a fair bit of conjecture or misunderstanding in people's minds over, was it a joint statement? Was it going to be drafted by the leader's office in conjunction with Moira, but only with her name on it? Sources have said to me, no, the intention was that the leader's office would help Moira draft this statement mm -hmm. and then they would distribute it because they believe Moira did not have the resources to, say, put it out to the parliamentary press gallery. That still differs from the minutes, though. And, I think it and does. We know when Renee Heath uh, turned up to the meeting on Tuesday and those minutes were, were circulated or at least spoken to, her allegation is she was monstered by John Pursuto over the content of the minutes. Yeah, now, that's that still ongoing, isn't it? Potential bullying claim that some MPs, I'm told, 
they were considering putting through order complaint to Vic Parliament's Department of Parliamentary Services. So, so where we are now, this mm. afternoon, late this afternoon, um, there was a, a two o'clock deadline yep. that Moira Demian set this morning for John Pizzuto to um, come to the table, resolve this issue about the joint statement and move on. And no compromise from John Pizzuto. And he won't, he won't negotiate, he won't yep. compromise. Um, I have seen an email from Moira Dean this afternoon to her colleagues now. She's going around the yep, leader. I've got it here. Yep. Good, to her colleagues. And she's asking them, can we have another party room meeting? Can you all sit there again and, and basically keep the leader honest to what we declared and agreed six weeks yeah, ago? The Pretty key, much the, the key line here, and it's all in this one line, I've advised my lawyers to prepare a legal challenge over my suspension mm -hmm. because I believe we need to come together as colleagues and have a do-over meeting. That I think out of the six pages that I've got here of her email, that's the key line. She, she wants, wants another, another meeting. meeting. She's a Liberal. She's not a parliamentary Liberal mm -hmm. as it stands. Mm -hmm. I tell you, but at that meeting, there is a concerted push tonight, I can tell you, from Liberals for a new expulsion motion. I've been told that four or five MPs today, after Moira's actions in preparing to launch legal action and this threat, are now considering flipping their opinion. And they were MPs that would have backed Moira on the day in the party room mm. and voted against the expulsion motion. They, I'm now told, four or five, a group of four or five have flipped. And we know how tight the numbers are in that party room, they given that John Pesciuto only got the leadership over Brad Batten by one vote. So, so let me just speak to that issue of the legals. Um, she has been talking to lawyers, she tells me, on the record, for some time. Uh, she reserves her rights on defamation and everything else. She has not launched legal proceedings. Uh, I've clarified that with her in the ad break just before. Uh, she has clarified and confirmed with me that she has not launched legal proceedings. Mm. They've been threatened. They have been threatened. Um, I think there was, I'll be honest with you, as much as that's what Moira is telling you now, there was certainly understanding from some corners of the Liberal Party at four o'clock this afternoon that it had been launched because they no, took no, that line yeah, but, that yeah, you... That, yeah, but just that let, let me be clear. The lawyer yeah. in me wants to be clear to the journalists that, that, are, that are, you know, you're yeah, not spinning but others are. You only launch legal proceedings when you start an action and you deliver something to the person that's the subject of your lawsuit. So oh, there is nothing... There is nothing that John Pesuto has received from lawyers uh, acting for Moira Dini. Not at the, the moment, no. And, no, I check, no. and I actually checked with not John Pesuto's office. Not at the moment, never, never been sent. Yeah. And I clarify, um, I clarify that she has said she has not initiated legal proceedings. Yeah. All she wants, and I think this is in part why she's talking to lawyers, is she wants them to help her get this meeting again of the colleagues to just get what was agreed six months ago to stick. Everything that you've heard in the minutes relates to what she's asking to have stick in her name. And I'll make the point again, I have a copy of the Liberal Party party room constitution. Mm. There's not one for the Canberra party room, but extraordinarily there is one for the Victorian party room. And in that constitution, there is no such thing as a suspension motion. There's expulsion motions and all the rules for an expulsion motion. So you've got to wonder, how does John Pizzuto suspend a member of the Liberal Party room when there is no rules for a suspension? So do you think Moira, Moira would be talking to her lawyers about challenging the legality of that, and particularly the suspension? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I think this is just getting muddier and muddier and muddier. 
and all the way along, uh, it's a free kick for Daniel Andrews. Yeah, he lapped it up today. Essentially said that he that the Libs should should report John Pichetto off to work cover, which is ironic because work cover is certainly uh, investigating the government over a few things, including hotel quarantine and other claims as well, as you well know. You'll be a busy man, Simon Love, thank you. I already am. <laughs> All right, after the break, my panel, a whole lot of news around the country. We'll get into that and we'll go to London Live for the latest on the King's coronation. A troubled young woman her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's bring in the panel now. Media writer for The Australian, Sophie Ellsworth, former Liberal MP for Boothby, Nicole Flint. Uh, Nicole, I've stepped everyone through the, the, the mess that is the Victorian Liberal Party tonight. I don't want to labour the point, but I know you've been supportive of Moira Deeming to date. Are you surprised that they've not been able to resolve this issue yet? It's absolutely shocking, Peter. Look, honestly, if John Pesuto can't run the Liberal Parliamentary Party, how on earth is he going to be able to run the state of Victoria as Premier? Because that's what he wants to be. Uh, I, I cannot believe that we are seeing Conservative women attacked in this way. Renee Heath has come out and said that she's been bullied and targeted. Obviously, Moira Deeming has been as well. I think his position is untenable, Peter. Conservative women are not going anywhere and we have a huge amount of support. So I think the only person who needs to go somewhere is John Pesuto uh, resigning from the position. He's supposed to be tearing the Labor Party apart as opposition leader and all he's doing is ripping the Liberals apart. All right, let's go to New South Wales. There's some fights going on there, Sophie. The Nationals in New South Wales are not happy that Chris Minns is moving to try and install a close mate, Nationals MP, Ben Franklin, into the top job in the Parliament. This is the Upper House President's job. It will mean a positive flip for Labor there in terms of the numbers. Uh, give us your take. There's talk of an ICAC referral, but surely it's all over if, if Ben Franklin just says... Of course, I won't take it. Well, you would think so, Peter, but to date he hasn't actually said that. Uh, he's obviously weighing up a $140,000 pay rise alongside a car and a driver. So uh, you think he would have come out straight away and said, look, it's not appropriate and I won't be accepting this. Uh, but he hasn't done that. So it'd be incredibly deceitful to his party, I believe, if he does take this up. This drag queen story, these uh, drag queen story um, story reading sessions uh, happen a lot overseas, Nicole Flint. They're certainly now turning up in Victoria. Surprise, surprise, but also elsewhere. A big fight with the Monash Council. A lot of parents turned up to the council meeting, uh, quite angry about this. They say it's sexualising young children. The council has now cancelled the drag queen reading session. They're saying that that's because of threats of violence and other things, but... Um, I, I don't care whether it's drag queens, I don't care if it's heterosexuals in their lingerie. I don't think anyone wants to see anyone other than, uh, you know, educators and other types read to kids. What, what's the push behind this?
I don't know, Peter, but it's completely unacceptable. It's it's completely unnecessary. We shouldn't have anybody who's behaving in an overtly sexualised manner interacting with children. And uh, drag queens usually uh, are dressed quite in a sexualised manner. Um, they usually have highly sexualised names, and it's completely inappropriate for them to be reading to children. But also, Peter, I think we really need to have the conversation about whether it's appropriate for men to dress as women in a highly sexualised way with highly sexualised names at, at, at all either. So, you know, feminists like Sheila Jeffries for a long time have called out men in drag for mocking women. I think we need to have this conversation. Well, that's interesting. All right, I'll leave it there. Sophie Ellsworth, the cough lead. Apologies for the abbreviation in your panel tonight, but we've had uh, big things in Victoria to get to. Appreciate your time, as always. That's it. After the break, we'll cross to London. Sarah Hewson with the latest. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. We are well and truly at the business end. Joining me now from London, Sky News Royal Editor, Sarah Hewson. Two days to go, uh, rehearsals, all the sort of pomp and ceremonies being absolutely practised out. I'm told the first rehearsal, a little rocky. The most recent one involved uh, Prince William and Kate and their children. How did that go and what's the role that the little prince and princess will have? Evening to you, uh, Peter. Well, the Royals look very relaxed as they arrived at Westminster Abbey yesterday for their rehearsal, and the verdict from those on the inside was that it was a success, that everything fell into place as they hope it will on Saturday. This was really important because while they've been rehearsing in a specially built coronation theatre within Buckingham Palace, to actually be inside Westminster Abbey to get a feel for the space and just soak up the atmosphere was really important for them. They may well be back later on uh, today for a full dress rehearsal because it's one thing walking through it in normal clothes, but they've got the robes to contend with. And in 1953, uh, the late Queen practiced by wearing a curtain ahead of her coronation. Big deal for Prince George, nine years old. He's going to be page of honour on the day he will be carrying his grandfather's long robes uh, and his brother and sister Louis and Charlotte are going to be taking part in the procession back from Westminster Abbey to Buckingham Palace for a chance for them to to practice that walk out of the Abbey with all of the cameras and the eyes of the world upon them. Just a quick one Sarah, what's this about the RAF flyover? This is meant to be the climax of the celebrations on Saturday. Uh, a flyover at half past two London time, half past midnight in Australia, featuring 60 aircraft. The weather forecast isn't looking good. Uh, could be poor visibility, and it may well have to be scaled back or cancelled if ah. they can't guarantee uh, the safety of that. And I think it'll be a real shame. All right. I'm looking forward to catching up with you tomorrow night. I will be here, Coronation Eve, live at Credlin at 6. Thank you, Sarah. We'll see you then. Right now, of course, the wonderful Rita Panna here.
Hi, it's Gary Jubelin here. Do you want a real and raw look inside the world of crime? Well, then check out my podcast, I Catch Killers, where I interview people from all sides of the law. I draw my firearm and I went into fight mode. I wanted to find and confront this gunman. I'm not getting verbal, am I? <laughs> I shouldn't have trusted you. See, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to open my mind up to uh, defence I know, it's just begging to be said. Yeah. Fair call, fair call. We have amazing guests every week. Search for I Catch Killers wherever you get your podcasts.